And then suddenly everyone's saying, you have to basically have the baby tomorrow and we have to get the baby out and the baby is now our first priority mm. and then you have to do chemo next week and you and this is very serious and you might not survive. Hi everyone, I'm Nikki Brigger and welcome to the latest episode of Finding Fearless with Murray Claire. Now, television presenter, radio host, best-selling author, entrepreneur and mum... I'm exhausted just reading the list, but it's all in a day's work for today's guest, Sally Obermeter. Now, the much-loved personality wears many hats, including host of The Daily Edition on Channel 7, founder of her Swish Wellness Empire, and of course, she's a survivor of breast cancer. At the age of 30, Sally made the bold choice to leave behind a successful career in finance to pursue her work on TV. She eventually landed a reporter job on Today Tonight, and at 37, life couldn't have been better. She was happily married, and they were expecting their first child after a long battle with fertility, and she'd just been handed her first book deal. And then, 24 hours before giving birth to her daughter, her world came crashing down. She was diagnosed with aggressive stage 3 breast cancer, but rather than retreating from the public eye, she gave hope to others by retelling her incredible story. Please welcome the amazing Sally Obermeter. Sal, welcome to Finding Fearless. Thanks We've for having me. We've been meaning to get you on for so long, you've got no idea. I'm so excited about this. I know. Well, I hope you are. We should have some food. You've given me some pina colada. I know. If you like pina colada. <laughs> Sadly, it's not the alcoholic type. No, I know. Sorry. It's collagen, your new product, <laughs> which is. I can't wait to try. But I have to say something with, you know, a glazed cherry and, you know, a little if bit you, of rum if you would be better. spike it. There is no judgment. You'll still get the collagen <laughs> benefits. Not how it was intended, but I pass no judgment. <laughs> and I also think my skin would be shiny, yeah, just would. the same. And your soul. Like being on a holiday. Yeah. That's all there is to it. But now, listen, we're just going to get straight into it. Let's we're going to cast our mind way back. Okay, not that far back. <laughs> not as far back as me. Um, what were you like as a kid? Um, as a kid, I was very obedient, I think is a, is a great description. Really? Yeah, I was. I was in my family. I was the good girl. I was not very sporty. I was not very musical. I was not very athletic. I was not very kind of arty. So I was kind of not very anything actually as a child, you know. It was very (laughs) yeah, underwhelming I think could be a, a, a fair term, I think. I was just kind of very average. I liked school enough. I didn't love it. I got picked on a little bit for being um, olive skinned. And I I tried, I think, essentially to take up as little room as possible. You know, I think that's a very strong kind of memory I have of my childhood. I tried not to stand out because if you stood out, I didn't want to get picked on anymore. So I tried very much to kind of shrink in and be no trouble to anybody, you know, be well behaved and, and be good. And why? what did they call you at school? Oh, I got called things like Blackie, Blackie, you're our lackey and, you know, yeah, yeah. Things that like you just can't imagine people saying, you know. Yeah, all kinds of. Yeah, not anymore. I know. We've come, look, we have come a long way. And I grew up in, in the hills and at that time it was very, I guess, white, you know, it was very Anglo-Saxon, you know, and we didn't have a lot of other races or other kind of ethnicities and stuff. And so, look, kids are kids are kids and that's Mm. what they they say and stuff. But I think when you already feel like you stand out and then you get picked on, it really stays with you, you know. Mm. So I very much tried to 
not take up too much space. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it, actually. Mm. Yeah, just slipping through mm. so that no one really noticed that's you. That's right. But that obviously has changed, let's be honest. So I wonder if that fueled your fire when you were a bit later in life. Yeah, I often think that. And I think, too, probably it wasn't who I really was, but it's who I felt I needed to be in order to escape the torture or whatever you want to call it. It wasn't torture, but, you know, to escape the pain of, of being bullied. So I think I probably was quite extroverted and I certainly was at home. But I just kind of outside tried to take up as little space as possible. And then I think once I felt free to actually extend my wings and be who I really was, and especially later in my 20s and 30s, I became, I think, who I always was, but couldn't be. You yeah, know? right. Mm. And with Maha, your sister, your gorgeous sister, mm. and of course you have your um, Swiss, you know, Swiss <laughs> empire together. Was she always, you know, your little ally? Were you a tight team? Um, I mean, how how was it at school together? We had a five-year age gap and we didn't actually go to school together because she went to a selective school. I wasn't smart enough. <laughs> so she was very, very bright. And so we didn't actually really kind of end up at school together. So it was a little right. bit different. We were always close growing up, but I think our... Five years is quite a lot. It is a lot. I mean, it's, you not, know, it's not now. Not as adults, but, but as kids it is. Yeah, you know, you'll be. That. 13, I'm 13 and I'm all about like, you know, pop bands and boys and makeup and she's still in Barbies and, you know, kind of it's it's a different gap. So I think as we were young, we were close and we definitely were tight and but as we got older it just got tighter. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then you went into finance. Yeah. Weirdly enough. <laughs> so when you so you left school and yes. then did you go to uni? I went to uni. I and did, did economics. A, I did accounting commerce. and marketing. Yeah, right. commerce degree. Wow. Um, and I loved it and because both my parents are accountants. And so wow. I actually flagged with my parents really early on. I said, "Listen, I really want to work in TV." Or I want to be a stylist at a magazine because that seems like a great job, like with fashion <laughs> and models and dressing them. And they said, oh, they don't sound like real jobs. They don't, they sound very unstable <laughs> and that makes us very nervous. And how about something really steady and, you know, something – and like they would always say this line, if there's ever a recession, you can still get a job as an accountant. They always touted that line at me. And so, yeah, I went to uni. I loved it. I ended up working in finance and I did a decade in finance before I finally said, hmm, you know what? I think now I'm keen for television. I've yeah. done my decade in well, finance. Follow your dream. Follow so my dream. So what was that like, taking the leap? Because that must have just been oh, incredible. It was. And did you have like, did you have any TV experience before? I, did you do anything when you were an accountant? I had none. So I, at that point I was married to Marcus and I said one day, you know what? I really just feel like I can't do any more spreadsheets. And then I was like, I've always wanted to work in TV. And then Marcus said, you, well, you just never want to die wondering. And then I took that as like verbatim and yeah. went, yes, you're right. <laughs> and he said, and you, hang on, yeah. I quite like someone paying the mortgage. Right, that's right. <laughs> and I literally went, you know what, that is so true. And I said, you know what, I think I'm going to resign and I'm going to try. And it's funny because the only people who thought that that was a fair idea were Marcus and my sister, God love them both, who went, yeah, you know what, you'll try it. And if it doesn't work, you'll go back and you'll get a job. You've got a decade of experience. If you take a year or two out, it's not actually a big deal. And I thought, yeah, you know what, it's not a big deal. And meanwhile, everyone else thought I was crazy because mm. I didn't know anyone in TV. I had no experience. I didn't have a journalism background. I Like I had no I had no foot in the door. I'd, I'd never done anything. And did you do any courses or anything for well, Yeah, it? once I left, 
I then started. I did journalism. I did a whole bunch of TV presenting courses. I did like everything that there was to possibly do. I did it. Mm. But it still took me four years to get an unpaid job. Wow. Yeah. Are you serious? Four years. So from third, so that, that supposed one year that you were going to take off ended up being four. Mm-hmm. And so you were 30 when you left finance, right? I was 30. So from 34, was that when you landed your job at Channel 7? Yes. Yeah. So I landed a work experience job. It was not right. actually a job. It was a work experience. One, one week, I think it was, that rolled into a month, that rolled into wow. a year. And it's funny because in that sort of year that rolled into two, that rolled into three, people kept saying, well, surely you'll go back now. Surely you realise it's a failure. Surely you'll realise that it hasn't worked. And I absolutely, it was almost like the more time I spent, the more I just, in a sense, dug my heels in and the more I think I tapped into my resilience and Mm. I was like, well, you know what? I will wait this out. This is not so much a waiting game, but it is a test of patience. Mm. And if if I'm patient enough and I keep doing the work, I'll get there. But, I mean, obviously the bills don't stop. So I became a personal trainer. You're I studied joking. personal training and I Did started you? a business, yeah, doing personal training. And so I had heaps <gasps> of these clients. So that's I would, where your love of sort of wellness and health, et cetera, and fitness came into play. Totally. So everything sort of, all the tentacles it's, are coming together. It all started to come together. And I did as well. I became a Pilates instructor as well for money. <laughs> and then I thought if my plan A of TV doesn't work and my plan B is to be a trainer, but realistically I'm not going to be able to be a trainer when I'm 60. So what should be my plan C? So I did two years of a science degree in naturopathy and loved it loved it loved it loved it and I should have finished I only didn't finish because I was two years in when I got this channel seven kind of work experience so I thought okay I really want to go for it this is my plan was this also was was it reporting on sort of lifestyle health it was Sydney Weekender so I yeah that was where I started so in travel basically I went to this one week's work experience at the great outdoors and that rolled into a month and at the end of the month I was like I just want to stay where can I can I say to the guy I really want to stay and he said to me oh Sydney Weekenders down the corridor. Why don't I introduce you to the guy? And if he needs you to stay for a week, maybe you can. And Al was my boss and he was such a divine man and I still to this day give him so much love and credit. And I said to him, listen, I would like to, I want to work. And he said, well, do you want to do some research? It's really boring and it's not in front of the camera. And I was like, amazing. Yeah, so it's all worth it, you know, in the end. That's See? the thing. And then what about on air? How, did, how long did that take? That took me about 10 months. I finally basically had been researching at Sydney Weekender for so long and I'd said to Al, my boss, listen, I really want to be on camera. And he said to me, well, it's a pretty small team and it's only a half an hour show and basically everyone else has to die before you get a leg up. And I was yeah. like, okay, then we'll be a long <laughs> wait. And he said to me, yep. But And I was like, okay, that's fine. I don't mind. Then one day he said somebody cancelled on a shoot like that was for the next day mm. and he came to me and he said, all right, tomorrow you're on. You're on. <gasps> and I was like, oh, my goodness, okay, it's happening. And I felt like at that moment all the years, like the four years of practising in my lounge room with a video camera, you know, practising, I would get like, you know, kind of the gossip magazines and I would read them because I'd be practising like Angelina Jolie just arrived <laughs> at the, you know, rah, rah, rah. And so I, all this kind of, all the practice of all the years gone by came together and I was like, it's now or never, you wow. know. And what happened after that first day? Did he come and say you're a natural? <clears throat> well, he said to me, you've got some fa- foundation and a little but you're also a little rusty on the edges he Mm. said but I can work with it he said I can see the sparkle in your eye and I was like okay he said doesn't mean you got a job 
but it means if everyone else gets scurvy, you can also have another turn. <laughs> Coronavirus. I was like, okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, I'll wait. And then after a few months, he came to me and he said, I've got another little opening for you. You can do another, you know, one story here, one story there. So it wasn't much and I still kept up my researching. Were you getting paid at that point? I was getting paid as a researcher, but it was yeah, not right. enough to pay the bills. So I still was personal training. So I'd get up at four oh. and I would train my personal training clients from 5 a.m. until 8. Then I'd drive an hour out to the studio, work a full day, get back in my car and drive and back to the gym and train clients until 10 o'clock at night. And wow. I did that for a few years. Wow. Yeah. So how then did you make the leap to today tonight? So I was, I'd been at Sydney Weekender for a few years and I was actually incredibly happy. And I one day thought, do you know what? I'm almost too happy here. I could wake up here and still be here in 10 years time. I had a great boss. There was no office politics. There was no drama. It was just a great team that produced a great product. And I loved it. I basically went to Al and said, listen, I actually think I have to leave because if I don't, I will. It's it's too too good. It's too comfortable. And it's only, it's a half an hour show. You only kind of get a little kind of two minute spot, you know, sort of every second week, I have to make myself leave. And he said, but you've got nothing to go to. I said, I know. And I left. I, I left with this sort of a hole and I made myself do this leap of, I guess, a leap of faith. And I was like, I just have to do it. Weirdly enough, in the kind of the year before I had run into the EP of Today Tonight, Craig McPherson, who now runs um, all of news over at, um, mm. you know, at Channel news 7, and public yeah. affairs at Channel 7. And it was Melbourne Cup and I must have got into a cab with a couple of people and Craig and, I, and then he introduced himself and I said, I do know you and actually have been meaning to reach out to you about some work experience over summer at Today Tonight. I'm at Sydney Weekender. He said to me, he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, call me, call me. So I called him and then he said, who is this again? And I was like, oh, it's Sally Obermeter. Remember we met like at Melbourne Cup and I asked about the work experience. He said, yes, no, we don't have anything right now. Call me back in a month. I was like, okay, so I'll call back in a month. I'll be like... Hi, Craig, it's Sally Edmund. But who is this again? And then I, and I was like, so it was like I said to him years later, I was like, that was the worst experience. But I made myself ring up every month and explain my story again and whatever. There never was any work experience over summer, but he made me ring up yeah. and ring up and ring up. Eventually, a job literally came up and he said to James Tobin, your friend, whose name I still can't remember, who rings me all the time. Yeah, what's she doing? Yeah, what's she doing? Tell her to come in for an interview. So James rang me and said, listen, I'm passing on this message to you from Craig. I went in for the interview and got the job. Wow. And that was amazing. Yeah. Shaped me. Phenomenal. How, How long were you there for? Six years. Six years. Six years Is before that I got right? sick. Yeah, I got sick. Obviously. Well, wow. I got pregnant and then got sick. Yeah. Wow, six years. Yeah. Now, where did you meet Marcus? It was a setup. I've never asked you this question. Oh, I worked in finance when I met him, and I, um, a guy I worked with, Jack, was a friend of mine, said I'd set him up with a friend of mine, and their kind of relationship blossomed. And then he said to me, great news. I know the perfect guy for you. It's a guy I worked with at Arthur Anderson and he's a lawyer now. And I was like, awesome. I quite fancy, like I, in my mind, I was like, you know, a few good men with Tom Cruise. I was like, I can marry a lawyer. That's perfect for me. <laughs> anyway. Um, and so he's like, I'll do drinks at my house and you can meet him and see if you guys get along. I said, okay, great. He said to me, listen, the guy I'm setting you up with is bringing this other guy, this other mate of ours who we also worked with at Anderson's, but don't worry, he won't kind of get in your way because we all know the setup's on. And I was like, okay, perfect. So they knock on the door and I look through the little peephole at Jack's house and I turn to Jack. I was like, you're joking. The guy on the left is so my type. And then he goes to me, 
Oh, the setups with the guy on the right. <laughs> so Marcus was the guy on the left, not who the setup was with. He's who the setup bought as a plus one. Oh my god! Are you and the rest serious? is history. Yeah. <gasps> now you always want to be a mum. You mm. made that you know perfectly clear, but you did find it hard to get pregnant. Very. So how long was the IVF pro? You know, we were trying to have a baby for about for you. And what six. What was it like? Oh. The whole, that whole process. Well, it's funny because it, I feel like now IVF is spoken about so much more mm. openly, so much more free. How, how old's Annabelle? Annabelle's eight now, yeah, and right. I was trying for about six years before yeah. that. So no, I didn't know anyone who'd really? been through IVF. Yeah, six years. I was trying for six years, not in IVF, but just naturally right. doing all these things that people said. You know, oh, you need to follow this diet. You need to do this program. Mm-hmm. You need acupuncture. You need a holiday. You don't need a holiday. You need to focus. You need to not focus. Don't get stressed. You know, get yeah. more sleep. Yes, lots of water. All yep. the things that people, yep. you know, yep. and I really found it hard to admit to myself that I needed. IVF because I didn't know and everyone else seemed to be having a baby so easily mm. and I felt like I somehow had failed and I was somehow less of a woman because I couldn't have a baby and I felt like I was letting the team down and all this kind of stuff and we had what's called unexplained infertility so there was nothing technically right. wrong with my eggs there was nothing technically wrong right? with Marx's sperm it just for whatever reason wow. would not work is yeah. that right? And when I finally, and it took me a lot. And Marcus had Which been is actually me, more frustrating in a way because there's nothing, there's no, reason. There's no particular. So then I blamed myself. So, supposedly fits. That's right. So I blamed like, oh, it's me, it's my job, it's because um, I'm stressed, it's because, you know, just mm. all, but I would never blame Marcus. It was always my fault, you know, mm. to me. Mm. Um, Classic female trait. Isn't it? It's just all <laughs> guilt and all, it's just we're so hard on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. He was saying to me for years, we should do IVF. And I could not bring myself to say yes. And it took a long time and eventually I went, okay, I, I concede defeat. I don't mm. know what else to do. And we did one cycle and it worked. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? That's incredible. I know. And then, of course, 41 weeks later, there you you're go. going in for, you know, a routine checkup. There it is. And so tell, tell me about that moment. So it was so routine. It was not even funny. And I had felt that lump in my breast for maybe a couple of weeks, could be a month, maybe a touch more. And I'd said to Marcus, oh my gosh, there's such a weird lump in here. It must be like early mastitis. I would have thought it was part of the pregnancy. Of course. I would never have thought Lumpy boobs. Who doesn't have lumpy boobs in a pregnancy? And I said, I'll, I'll tell Stephen, who was my obstetrician, I'll let him know when I go in. And I actually forgot three appointments in a row because by then you're kind of going weekly. And at this last appointment, and so I was overdue, and he said to me, how do you feel? Are you kind of feeling fine? I was like, I'm so happy. This is the best pregnancy, so easy. I had tons of energy. I had no morning sickness. Like it was a dream run. Finished my appointment, put my bag on my shoulder, walked out the door, and then said, I keep forgetting to tell you about this lump in my breast. And he said, show me. And I was like, no, 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 no. There's all these people in the waiting room. They're waiting for their appointment, and I don't want to make them late, and I'm already dressed. I'll show you next week when I come. And he said, absolutely not. You ought to show me now. And I was like, okay. And I showed him and he said, okay, do you know what? We'll get you an appointment at the clinic tomorrow morning. And I was like, oh, so nice. You people are so nice here. And I walk out to the front desk and there's Lex, his secretary, you know, on the phone to the breast clinic screaming at them, I need an appointment for the morning. And I was like, wow, the service here (laughs) is so good. You know, when you're like, you look back and you think you really are a nitwit. I have no history of cancer in my family. It was not on my radar. Yeah, and I truly think not. I was just in a, 
a baby bubble. And off I went to my appointment. And at, even at my appointment, I still was somewhat clueless. And I rang Marcus at lunchtime. I said, I'm still here. And they're doing a biopsy now. And he said to me, babe, that sounds bad. I was like, no, I, I don't think so. No, the lady didn't say it was bad. And he was like, okay, well, call me back. You know, anyway, they ended up ringing Marcus and asking him to come to down come. When the, for when they were going to tell us. <gasps> yeah. So who finally told so you, the, the doctor? So the doctor told Marcus and I and I... Because, I, I mean, you were about to have a baby. I was about to have a baby. I was like I had been at my appointment and said, I don't need to be induced. I'll wait another few days. I'm so happy. And off I went. So I was still thinking I've got a few more days. I'm going to have it, you know, I'll go into labour naturally, like all that kind of stuff that you think. And then suddenly everyone's saying, you have to basically have the baby tomorrow and we have to get the baby out and the baby is now our first priority mm. and then you have to do chemo next week and you <gasps> and this is very serious and you might not survive and wow i mean as if that time isn't emotional enough anyway with it's... all the hormones running around you're worried about the baby I can't actually imagine the added burden of anything, to be honest. It's quite. Let alone something like so mortality. Horrific. I think that's the thing that's the most sickening. And in a way, there were many times where I was like, I wish I wasn't pregnant now. I wish I, now I wasn't in a scenario with a baby because then I wouldn't be left with a. Yes. You know, this 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 impending doom of leaving this baby behind. You know, mm. if it was just me who was going to die and there was no baby, then so be it. But the idea of leaving Annabelle behind, it broke mm. me. It just broke me. Mm. It killed me. And so, I mean, how do you think it changed you in that time? I mean, you were talking before about finding your resilience, et cetera, yeah. and having that when you were younger. I mean, that just would have been resilience beyond all words really I think it definitely and also feeling so sick it was that's the worst part and I still sometimes I have a lot of guilt sometimes about Annabelle's first year and sometimes I get super choked up and very sad and I feel like I let her down and even though logically I'm like I know I didn't do it intentionally and mm. I didn't do any you know but I still you know even so, and sometimes and I know everyone says don't compare your children but you compare your children mm. right and I compare the difference between her and Alyssa I think I wonder if she's like that because I was gone for, you know, like who on day six leaves their child all day mm. to go to chemo? Mm. Who, like mm. on day six, I mean, you're basically attached to your baby mm. the entire, like, and that's, first, what, and that's all you want to do. That's all too. you want to do. You don't that's like walk out the do. door and be like, oh, I'm going now at eight. I'll yeah. be back at five. Like oh. it's just. But then the thing is they also say you now have to completely concentrate on that's yourself right. and your survival, et cetera. Yes. But that must have been. So it's difficult. So difficult. It's so difficult. And they say that, but you don't. You end mm. up doing both because you're a mum. You end up doing both poorly, I mm. think, is probably the answer. Well, you know? hello, hello, life. You do everything poorly. <laughs> do everything poorly because you're just trying to do everything. <laughs> you're just trying to, you're just, you're trying to get, get them through, through and you're trying to get yourself through as best as you can. And it's a bit of a mess but you're just doing the best you can. And, and I mean, Marcus must have had to really step up too. Oh, did he Did he, was, he leave work? He wanted to and I said no. I yeah. was like, listen, everything just got crazy yeah. and there's no semblance of reality here or anything that's normal and I feel like now if we're all at home, I'm going to feel like it actually is like I am on death's yeah. door and I don't want that. I need to have... I don't, I'm not yeah. going to work. I'm on mat leave. I have a baby which I've never had before. I now have cancer. I've, I've already got all these new scenarios. I now don't want – now 
now instead of you going to work every day, now you're at home as well. I was like, it's actually too much for me. I mm. said, I need you to actually still go to work. Do you do you think that whole journey, did that give you sort of the idea for Swish, do yes. you think? Because you would have, I mean, already you knew about nutrition. Yep. So you'd already done all that. But obviously you must have really delved I really into did. It, and I think I it. really had a lot of time to think about if I survive, what do I want to do? Mm. You know, if I survive. And I felt like one of the things that I really felt in my scenario was that I was the beneficiary of a lot of love and goodwill. I really felt like from people I didn't know, from the public, I felt like there were all these people in my corner who didn't know me mm. and really championed and sent me their love and their best and I, f- and I felt it, you mm. know, and at times when you're very low and you're struggling to get your strength up and you've got a front up for chemo, no one's going to make you go. At any point you say to your doctor, listen, I just can't do it anymore. They're not going to drag you there yourself. You Mm. have to drag yourself there. And it's hard to voluntarily go to something that makes you so sick Mm. and makes you so unwell, even though you know hopefully you'll get better. It becomes a mental challenge and I really felt like I had so much support and I was like I it's my duty, mission, calling, call it whatever you want. To give that back. You absolutely did that. I mean, your passion and energy and determination is incredible. Thank you. Thank you. And always was, I have to say, whereas I would have just been watching Netflix. (laughs) I'm telling you. (laughs) Actually, you're lucky that Netflix wasn't wasn't around. around That's right. That's right. Maybe none of this would have been done. Yeah, that's so true. I I was like, sorry, no swish, guys. I was watching telly. I've got season three of Killing Eve. There's no That's way right. that I can possibly start start a wellness empire. Sorry, guys. It's unbelievable. So, and what do you think was your lowest point? Or is it impossible to pinpoint, really? No, I definitely had a few. I definitely remember around the four-month mark of chemo because initially they were like, oh, you might only have to do three months. And at three months they were like, sorry, you'll have to do six. And it's very hard because I sort of felt like I'd gotten to the hurdle of three months and to hear that then it wasn't going well and then I had to do another kind of, you know, then I'm at the six-month mark. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. And in the end I did around 10 months. But it was I think around month four I was in just the pain was actually like nothing I can ever assimilate it to. It was kind of like the nausea, the the searing bone pain, the taste of petrol or what felt like petrol in your mouth, like your nerves are on fire, your hair's fallen out. Like it's just like all You're of so the raw. worst things have all come together in this horrific cyclone. And I remember in the shower just howling so loudly that Marcus thought I'd fallen and I was I think I was actually just screaming and I was like, I can't go on. I actually don't think I don't, I can't, I actually can't do this anymore, you know. And, and how did was, you get through that? Was it Marcus who really helped you? Yeah, or? hugely, hugely, you know, and kudos to him. He's such an amazing guy and he was so there for me. He was really strong and was able to be a kind of, I guess, very compassionate and very empathetic but still also hold me so that I could go, okay, that's my moment, it's past, I'm going to mm. pick myself up and keep going. Because also at that time you would have been thinking, right, well, I'm not also not going to have another child. No. I'm just not going to be able to physically have no. another child. How, how long did it take you to get to the process of finding, you know, a surrogate mm. or even thinking about that? 
took me, I think, by the time my treatment was finished and I and there was a period of time where I never thought it would finish and it was finished and I got the all clear and that was beyond anything I think that mm. any of us expected. You know when you just think something will never happen to you in the same way I never thought I, I would get cancer, mm. I also, I'm not sure I ever really thought I would be free of it and mm. it was as epic as the moment I found out I had it, mm. you know, but just on the other end of the scale. Absolutely. You know? Then I needed this process, I guess, because now my body is in horrific condition from all mm. the chemo and, you know, all these surgeries and stuff and I kind of spent a bit of time just working on getting better and getting healthier and feeling human again. But somewhere in the back of my mind, particularly I think around the time Annabelle turned two, I just was like, I really want another baby. The issue around me carrying another child was the cancer that I had had a high reoccurrence rate in years three and four. Mm-hmm. And they don't like you to carry another child because if for any kind of fear that if you, yeah, as well, yeah might trigger it and I get that. Totally. We, Marcus and I just went, well, let's just wait a year. Maybe, maybe we'll be one and done and that mm. will be fine. And I was like, yeah, I'll just see. I'll just sit on it and see how I feel. And it just wouldn't go away. And mm. I just was like, you know what? I want another baby. And because we had, because Annabelle was IVF, and she had worked on the first cycle, we still had the embryos left. And I think that's what made the the whole kind of the scenario around surrogacy so much easier because it wasn't like I had to do because I couldn't have done another IVF cycle I couldn't have done any egg retrieval that oh, would have been so a no go. You wouldn't be able to do that because I went into menopause basically after cancer I then right. went into menopause. Well, that makes complete sense. So Got that was it. the only reason why I then was like, well, how I how many have did you have? How many four. embryos did you have? Four. four. So wow. I had five embryos. Annabelle was embryo one. I mean, you've got. I'd be, they're sitting there. You've uh, got to actually. That's give it why a go. I couldn't let it go. That was a big, big reason. I was like, well, I just can't, if I go through them all and it doesn't happen, it's not meant to be, but I have to, I just had to kind of go hand on heart. And I think because Annabelle too was like, I want a brother. I want a sister. Mm. She was that kind of child and she still is, you know, I'll try. And if Mm. it doesn't work, then I know I can say to myself, I did all that I could Mm. do. And that was it. That was what started us on this path of like. Where did you, where did you find, like how did you go through that process? Somebody I know um, who works at a radio station. So in my travels, you know, when I was talking about cancer, somebody there said to me, if you ever decide to have a baby with a surrogate, I know just the place. And then when the sort of the time came, I reached out to her and I said, do you remember when you said this thing to me? And she said, yeah, I know a place in LA. And off wow. we went. And yeah. you met your surrogate? I love her, Rachel. Oh are you still in contact All with the her? Time. And her girls are just around Annabelle's age. So those those girls were thick as these. And it took us a two-year period to have Alyssa. Like we had a couple of failed I attempts. Bet. And we had lots of trips to the States back and forth with them. So Annabelle and her girls are Tight. best Best buddies. And so when, finally when Alyssa arrives, Mm. that's not enough because you then have to start your own business. (laughs) Or actually had you already started. You'd already started. But obviously now it has ramped up like you wouldn't believe and you're on shelves and supermarkets and all that sort of thing. How did that process all start? So we started originally just as a blog. That's sort of what we did. Yeah, for a couple of years. And it was only around about the three-year mark that we thought, okay, we really feel like we've got an understanding of who our reader is and what it is that she wants. At that time, our smoothie book was 
coming out. And I rang Maha on holidays and Maha hates it when I go on a holiday because you usually have a nice amount of kind of downtime and I ring with some outlandish idea of something that we should do. <laughs> and so I rang her and I was like, you know what, if the smoothie book's coming out, I really feel like it would be so nice. If you're making a smoothie, you could like get a tumbler that you could kind of put your smoothie in. Like it'd be cool to have yeah. an online store with these smoothie accessories. And she was like, you know what, that's a good idea. I guess we could look into it. And then I rang back the next day and I was like, do you know, if you're going to have some smoothie accessories you may as well just have some other little bits and pieces that are kind of like kitcheny things and she went yeah okay that's cute and then I remember the next day and I said I just want to do a fashion range (laughs) (laughs) I think she hung up on me (laughs) and um and I said let's and then she got back she's like okay we'll do it so we did it it's been four years now the whole wellness business has exploded and we love it we Mm. love it so much and it makes us so happy you know Mm. giving back Mm. and with Maha I mean do you have you ever fought Oh, yeah. Oh, we bicker a lot. Do we you? bicker. Yeah, we bicker a lot. You're like an old married <laughs> yeah, couple. Yeah, we're like an old married couple. So we're very much. Um, Are you quite different or similar? Very different. No, very different. So and how do you complement each other? She's very methodical, which mm. I think is really good. She's also not what I would call a hip shooter, which is what she says I am. So she's mm. like, I think you made that up. And I was like, I didn't make it up. I I once read a something and she goes, Oh, my God, you made that up. I was like, Okay, I made have made that up. <laughs> so I'm a lot more kind of. You know, I can fly by the seat of my pants a little bit, whereas she's like, okay, that's not going to work. Here's the process attached to it. The the balancing is is I'm very risky and she's risk averse. Mm. So I will also drag her along where she'll be like, I don't know, it might not be a good idea. What about the minimum order quantities? I don't know. I'm like, don't worry about it. We'll just do it. It'll be fine. Mm. And so her methodical and my riskiness work really nicely together. Yeah, yin and yang. Mm. And what? so what's your most uh, popular product? I think collagen at the moment is our most yeah, popular. It's, such a big it's thing at yeah, the moment. it's hugely, and I think it's because you see the benefits so quickly. You know, three to four weeks, you'll see a big difference in your skin. That I think is our most popular because there's a few different flavors. That's huge, but I think our sleep powder is probably yeah. not far behind yeah, because that's the one I'm addicted to. People it's struggle amazing. with sleep. Everyone struggles yeah. with sleep at some point. Yeah, and if you don't sleep, it's like your hormones are out of whack. You're putting on weight. You wake up grumpy. Mm-hmm. You're eating. Shit you don't want to be eating, but it all started because you didn't you sleep can't properly. Work to optimum capacity, everything. You're grumpy, you can't look after your kids. It just, everything. Unfortunately, it's the dominant. It all starts it really there. Is. It does, and that's the best one, and that's the one where we get those stories of people who. So we didn't make it for kids; we made it for adults because. It was specifically it was for me because I can't switch off. Mm. So more so for me than for Maha, it was really kind of me that was like, I need I to need sleep. This. I need to sleep, you know. And so what has happened, those parents have ended up buying it for their kids and they're saying things like, my nine-year-old hasn't slept in like five years because she has like severe anxiety and so now she's like sleeping. Or you get like just wow. stories like that That's or people who are sick. Story, yeah. That would really, oh, that would be like. We're what, all crying. The thing you, the thing you live for, we, really, were all, isn't it? we were all like literally everyone in the office. I was like, you guys have to read this. It was like the grandma and the Aww. mother all standing at the foot of her bed watching her sleep and she hadn't slept in years. And they're all crying. And then we were all crying in the office going, oh my God, <laughs> our work here is done. <laughs> and so, what do you think you're most proud of with the business? Um, long- Apart, obviously, yes. moments like yeah. that, clearly. I think, I think it's that. I think it's also longevity in a sense, not that we've been around that long. And I think people thought I couldn't do it. 
And mm. I am actually proud that we have done it and I'm proud that we continue to grow because it hasn't been easy. Did you have naysayers oh, as well always. who were really? Well, yeah. In a way you shouldn't expect people to cheer you on. I think yeah. if you expect it, it's almost a, like you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. It's not their job to cheer you on. Mm. It is your job to cheer yourself on, mm. you know. You should do it for yourself. Mm. You don't need their adulation and their clapping and their whatever. Mm. You're doing it for your team. You're doing it for your customers. You're doing it for your community. You're doing it for yourself. Go, do it. Mm, you know? Absolutely. Now, before we finish up, I yep. have got, we do this every single Finding Fearless. We do quick, it's called the quick five. I love it. But I've just said the quick five and can I just say there's about 10. So <laughs> let's just call it the fast 10. Yeah, I love it. Let's just change it. So what poster did you have on your bedroom wall as a teenager? Oh, Bon Jovi and Poison. <laughs> all the glam bands. Bit of heavy metal, yeah. Bit of heavy metal. Got to love that. Your go-to karaoke song? Oh, 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. Oh, good, good, nothing better than that. Yep. Your favourite movie ever? <sighs> Pretty in Pink. Oh, mm. perfect. Uh, the last time you had a great belly laugh? Apart from like P- Pretty much ago. like just now with you, yeah. <laughs> pretty much every day with Maha at some point I will have a huge belly laugh, whether it's talking about, you know, kind of the issues we're facing, you know, with mum and dad or, you know, if she imitates what me. What issues and, are there with mum and dad? Oh, you know, just... <laughs> just I remember, <laughs> didn't you say that your dad keeps on saying, so when are you going to get a real job? Yeah, he always says that. We always joke. And he always says, you know, the lollipop ladies make great money. I said... <laughs> You know, Dad, I've got a TV job and a, a whole business with, like, staff and a whole, like, big building and stuff. And he goes, mm, 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 mm. Anyway, they've got good hours. <laughs> so we always joke. And I saw, I've seen on Seek.com they've got a really yeah, good accountancy yeah, job. Yeah. It's not too late to go Westpac? back. It's not too late. I think you can still do it, Dad. I don't remember what to do anymore. <laughs> and what makes you cry? Hearing your dad say that. Hearing my dad say that, exactly. Um, I, I get, you know, if I watch the news, I get pretty emotional. There's so much shit around, unfortunately. How do you I still, have to read the news? Mm, we, we, it's funny. You become, in a how way... Do do, how do you do that? You're not immune to it. And, if, and in fact, sometimes it's worse because you will, you know, you're you're hearing the news all day. You're reading the news before you go on. We have the news during the show. And it is. It's gut-wrenching. And so often I'll, like, you'll come off and you'll just be like, that was just shit. That just, and it makes you cry. It's yeah, awful. I can I can imagine. It's awful. There are, I mean, there are stories that you can't even hear, let alone having to right. you know, read them out. Yeah, they're awful. And what's the hidden talent that we don't know about? Oh, spreadsheets. Oh, I'm a whiz at a spreadsheet, oh an H lookup, a V lookup. A, oh, I love a spreadsheet. See, this is so bizarre. <laughs> so you've got that wild creative side, yeah. but you can also sit down and, and whip a out a spreadsheet. Yeah, love it. I love that. Um, the biggest misconception people have about you? I think people think because I'm nice, I'm a pushover. Yeah, right. I think that's a common thing. And I am nice, oh, no. but I'm not a pushover. I've never had that yeah. misconception about you. <laughs> you're smart. <laughs> and your spirit animal? Ooh, probably Dolly Parton. (laughs) Probably Dolly Parton. (laughs) Oh, my God, she is a spirit animal. There's no doubt about that. And what's your greatest strength? I think it's definitely my resilience and patience. I'll wait for the reward and wait and wait. I'll just keep going, just keep going. Like I am not a giver-upper. Yeah, I think we've absolutely noticed that. <laughs> you are no quitter. Yeah, I'm no That's quitter. for sure. I'm no quitter. Well, thank you, Miss Sally. Thank you, you for having me, You have been amazing guys. and a great inspiration and I am feeling so belittled right now. Oh, I need to I need to kind of start my own business, get the TV <laughs> career, follow my dreams. You are and we love you. You know mm. that. We love Murray Claire. You know what I'm doing? I'm just going to go home and watch Netflix. It's much easier. <laughs> Killing Eve season three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Thank Dal. you. We love you. Love you guys. 
Sally's always been a huge source of inspiration for me and I hope you thought so too. Thanks for listening today. Please rate and review as we really value your feedback. And don't forget to subscribe to Finding Fearless with Murray Clare so you don't miss an episode. We'll catch you next time.